Good morning. It is Wednesday, March 1st, and this is Finger Lakes Today, presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Josh Durso. Coming up this morning, we have our Today exclusive from the Women's Rights National Historical Park and everything you missed from last night's sectional basketball action. But first, we are starting with Chris Lejeski from the Montezuma Audubon Center up in Savannah, Wayne County. Uh, Chris, welcome back to the studio. Feels like it's been a little bit here. Thanks, Josh. Great to be with you. Uh, so... We are headed, we are barreling towards spring. It hasn't really felt like winter, um, all winter. So uh, since it's been a bit since you and I have gotten the chance to talk, I'm curious before we get into our, our normal stuff here, how, how, has, how have things been out there given that it hasn't really been a normal winter? Yeah, we've seen uh, bird populations uh, this winter that have been different than past in normal winters because yeah. of the mild conditions. Uh, the largely snow-free conditions have allowed waterfowl and, uh, and other birds to stay in the Finger Lakes region. The, the snowpack never accumulated to a significant amount throughout most of the Finger Lakes and so birds like swans, snow geese, the Canada geese still had access to the food. They love to eat corn and soybean, which is the waste grain from farm fields throughout the Finger Lakes region. They weren't covered in snow, so there was ample food source. The birds didn't have to fly as far south as they normally do. Typically, they go down to the mid-Atlantic states to spend the winter months. Now that more milder conditions are coming in, I mean, a couple weeks ago, we almost hit 70 degrees yeah. throughout the area. Yeah. Uh, it certainly felt like spring. We've started to see the first migratory birds coming back into the Finger Lakes region. So we're seeing now flocks of, of thousands of snow geese that did make it down to the Chesapeake Bay coming back now into the Finger Lakes region. We're seeing our first sandhill cranes coming oh. back now here in, into the Montezuma wetlands complex and, and both of those populations are only going to increase as we continue through the month of March. Does uh, like this warmer winter, are there any kind of like uh, continuing kind of issues that pop up as like you get through spring because of those changes like do the birds have to kind of recalibrate mm. themselves in terms of their patterns headed north south etc or does it kind of just reset itself it's certainly concerning because birds are going to take advantage of those first southerly winds and those mild conditions that we had right in the middle of february we saw that we had hundreds of of, of snow geese. We had hundreds of tundra swans already on the move coming back here into the Finger Lakes region. We're just a pit stop for, for many of these waterfowl species. We know that winter isn't done with us and so more cold fronts are going to come through. It's going to stay snowy and cold probably through much of March and so the northerly winds may in fact push those birds back down to the south. Birds are going to have to use more of the resources, more of the energy uh, because of that and and so they may have a harder time surviving migration may have un unsuccessful breeding season as a result so and this we can all attribute to climate change no doubt you know these fluctuations in the weather patterns the the droughts that we're seeing out west in the western u.s the flooding that happens here throughout new york state uh, shorter milder winters all goes back to climate change. So we're seeing the impacts now, no doubt. The birds are, are telling us that things are changing and they're just trying to adapt. And we have to do all that we can in order to help them during this migration season and of course breeding season as well. What are some of the things that if folks are just looking into their backyard, um, what are some of the things that m they might see different in terms of bird behavior or maybe bird species that they wouldn't normally see in late February or early March because of the way this season, uh, mm -hmm. this winter season has been? Mm -hmm. We're starting to see some songbirds migrating back into the area. Uh, species like hermit thrush, which is normally more of a, a late March into early April migrant. This is a cousin to the American Robin, which is a year-round resident now uh, for us. So they're coming back in. We're also seeing the white crowned sparrows coming back into the area already here. They were coming back in the third week of February. Um, the other thing that we're noticing, like I said, the American Robins, they no longer migrate all the way south because of the milder conditions. They still have access to food here. Uh, they're going to stick around 
as well as eastern bluebirds. They're, they yeah. never left entirely. So, um, you know, things have, have changed and, and birds are responding to that. Uh, I'm noticing now the, and this is right on par with where we should be, but the songbirds, the, the year-round residents, black-capped chickadees, blue jays, northern uh, cardinals are all starting to sing their springtime songs, which is, which is great. Uh, they're setting up territories, uh, attracting mates, and getting ready for breeding season, which will be coming up here as we go throughout the month of March. And my last question before we get back, before I get us back on track here, um, what happens or how many, I guess, um, winter seasons do you look at or, or see trend milder than what they historically would be before it starts to become a concern for the species that do normally call the Finger Lakes home um, or even just some of those migratory trends that you were talking about where they become potentially in jeopardy? Well, we've seen uh, trends over the last 20 to 30 years. You know, climatologically, you know, meteorologists, and I'm certainly not one of them, but they look at climate trends. And, yeah. and that trend is a good, that's two to three decades. We now have data going back that far because the first community science projects that were launched in the 1990s uh, helped us tabulate the bird data at that time and every year the, the bird data is uh, accumulated by Audubon scientists, uh, agency biologists, well as well as community members who who love birds, they're in their backyards and, and keeping up with the birds that they're seeing or going to places like the Montezuma Wetlands Complex and keeping track of birds there. So we have now trends, we're seeing snow geese coming through in February now. This is now the second year in the last four years when snow geese have started to migrate back into the Finger Lakes region in the month of of February. I can't recall in my 12 years at the Montezuma Audubon Center a time when we had snow geese pretty much all winter. Um, so that's not, you know, we, we can't say that that is going to happen every year now. Yeah. I, I think it's a little bit of an anomaly, but it is a trend because the, the we're starting now the second year, so this, we're starting to see snow geese sticking around a little bit longer and coming back into the Finger Lakes region earlier than we had and seeing them previously. Interesting stuff. Um, great backyard bird count. Uh, recap, it is complete. Uh, what right. do you got for us there? Yeah, so this was the 25th year of the great backyard bird count. It took place back uh, February 17th through the 20th, and birders all across Western Hemisphere were keeping track of the birds in their backyards, from their balconies, uh, in their local parks and, and natural areas. This is a very important community science project. It's actually the first one that went online um, uh, way back in the 90s. And so we're, we're, we're seeing many, many new species uh, as a result of this great backyard bird count. People are able to tabulate and keep track of the birds. Some of the highlights from this Montezuma wetlands complex during great backyard bird count uh, period was, uh, was really sighted down on Cayuga Lake, which never froze over. Uh, at all this winter and so we had a great number and great diversity of waterfowl so we were seeing 20,000 30,000 snow geese down there we had tens of thousands of ducks like the the canvas back and the redhead ducks uh, we had hundreds of tundra swans down there uh, just off of lower lake road south of Cayuga Lake State Park um, so because of ice-free conditions waterfowl had a lot of habitat to to access their food which is primarily uh, plant material although some some of the divers will go after aquatic insects or crustaceans that are living in the lake um, but this is just one of many community science projects that take place over the course of the year we're always encouraging people to keep up with the bird sightings in their yard one of the easiest ways for people to tabulate birds and, and, and document them is through eBird. People can go to eBird.org and that's an online database. There's an app as well you can download to your phone and uh, you can enter your bird sightings from your backyard, your balcony, wherever you happen to be and that is very important data because Audubon scientists use that to understand bird populations and distributions and trends over decades. 
I was going to say the crowdsourced nature of that must give them a little better idea of, in real time what's happening too. That's right. And, you know, we have 700 Audubon staff all across now the Western Hemisphere. That isn't enough to <laughs> keep up with all the birds and where they are, uh, especially when you consider there are over 600 species of birds just in this country alone. Uh, in the Montezuma Wetlands Complex, 300 different bird species. So we need as many eyes and ears uh, on the ground keeping up with bird populations throughout the year. And you mentioned the tundra swan, and that is our species spotlight for the month. Um, listen, Chris, judging by the name, I'm not so sure that I'm, I'm believing that this tundra swan <laughs> could be finding uh, a very habitable home here in the Finger Lakes, given that it's been... 40s for the last mm. 60 days, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the name tundra is in reference to where it goes to breed. And actually, it, it is a common species during the winter months here in the Montezuma Wetlands Complex and throughout the Finger Lakes region, especially when you're looking at those largest Finger Lakes that don't freeze over entirely, even under normal winter weather. So places like Cayuga Lake, Seneca Lake, Canandaigua are so deep they don't freeze over. And you can find hundreds of these very large white birds, the tundra swan, during the winter months. So they have a wingspan of about five to six feet. Their uh, length from head to tail is about four to five feet, uh, almost entirely white plumage. The bill is, um, is fairly good size, and it does come slightly curved off of the forehead. So it's not straight off the forehead. There's a slight curve, much like a ski jump. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, but not always, there is a bit of yellow at the base of the bill. And, and that distinguishes it from other swan species, like the trumpeter swan, which never has the yellow at the base of the bill. So this is a species, the tundra swan, we still have at Montezuma right now. I would envision that throughout the month of March, we'll be seeing them coming into what are now partially frozen marshes at Montezuma as milder conditions eventually come back. It may be mid-March to late March before we, we get back into some warmer conditions here, but they're going to start to utilize that habitat, uh, eat their favorite food, which is plant material, pack on the pounds, uh, and getting ready for the next leg of their arduous journey up to the tundra. So we're talking That's some northern Hudson mileage. Bay area, 1,500 miles, some are going to go up to the northern parts of Canada. That's another, that's maybe 2,000 miles to the north of the Finger Lakes region. Incredible journey. Curious on that front with a lot of those birds, how, how much territory, are they, how much mileage are they covering per day when mm -hmm. they're making those, those, yeah. longer, those longer trips? Well, many of these bird species actually migrate under the cover of darkness which is interesting. So many birds are astronomers in a way that they, they use the position of the moon in the sky if that is up. Uh, fortunately, they always- Can they see? Uh, oh, yes, they, they, they certainly can see. Can see. And, <laughs> and they don't see like we do, but they certainly have vision. Yeah. And they also know where the North Star is in the sky. And so based on the position of the North Star and position of the moon, if that is up, uh, and they can also, quote unquote, see the Earth's magnetic field, which of course is oriented pretty much north-south. So that helps them migrate at night as well. Um, and, and these birds are going to travel maybe so 20 to 30 miles per hour, let's say, at night. Um, let's say on average it might be a 10-hour flight. So you know, we do the math there, we're talking 250, 300 miles yeah. potentially at night. And then once the sun begins to rise, daylight comes up and then they hunker down in these marshes and refuel, uh, getting ready for the next leg of their journey. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, bald eagle sightings uh, out on Onondaga Lake. Hmm. Uh, what do we have there? Yeah, so Onondaga Lake, just like Montezuma, is home to many bald eagles. And this is an incredible success story at Onondaga Lake. I was going to say, could you give a little background on that? Because I know that this is not not an overnight uh, success here, by For any means. For the last 20 years, Onondaga Lake in Syracuse, New York, has, has been restored, uh, cleaned up. It was at one time the most polluted lake in the country because of industrial pollution and uh, wastewater treatment plant emptying out into the lake. Um, it, it was just essentially a dead lake. There were no bald eagles there throughout much of the 1900s. Waterfowl, 
just were not found, and very few fish species were there. But uh, Honeywell, which is the company that bought the company that polluted the lake, uh, has cleaned up the lake and restored 90 acres of wetlands and shoreline there, primarily along the southern and western sides of the lake. And as a result now, Onondaga Lake is home to the largest bald eagle roost anywhere in the state. Um, we can see anywhere from 50 to as many as 100 bald eagles during the winter months. This past uh, mid-February, so just a few weeks ago, we counted uh, about 60 bald eagles down there at the incredible. lake, which is incredible, and all yeah. within one area. At Montezuma, it's different because they are the bald eagles are spread out over essentially 50,000 acres. Yeah. At Onondaga Lake, they're all focused on that southern end, which never freezes over entirely because Onondaga Creek empties out there, and the treated waters now of the Metro Wastewater Treatment Plant empties out there, keeping that area ice-free so the bald eagles can eat fish and, and, um, and other uh, food sources that they need during the winter months. So 60 bald eagles at Onondaga That's Lake, incredible. an incredible success story and, and a testament to that conservation can work and 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 wildlife can respond to our our positive actions that the turnaround the wildlife turnaround that has to be one of the most unique success stories in the entire country now yeah uh, look at bald I mean, there eagles there can't be a lot of other examples that are similar to that type of you know a couple decades and here we are. Mm, right. And, and the other thing that is great about this Onondaga Lake cleanup and restoration work is that the Central New York community is now seeing the lake as an asset once again. There are uh, multiple trails now going around almost the entire length of the lake, giving hikers and joggers, bird watchers, opportunities to get out and enjoy this lake once again and the habitats and the birds and other wildlife that are there. Uh, it's it's now become a great um, spot for anglers to go. Uh, there's a bass pro tour that actually stops at Onondaga Lake now because of the incredible number of bass there. There are 60 species of fish overall in Onondaga Lake now, including Lake Sturgeon, which we never would have thought could survive in, in that ecosystem, but it has responded. So um, just tremendous success story, and, and Audubon's been proud to be a part of that initiative to help restore the, the habitat there and to see how the bald eagles and other uh, species that have historically been in decline returned to Onondaga Lake. And a photography exhibit, I'm assuming semi-linked to uh, what we're discussing right now? That's right. So the other program I manage is the Onondaga Lake Conservation Corps program. And so for now, over 11 years, we have been working with our colleagues in the Syracuse area, Honeywell, and other nonprofits like Onondaga Audubon uh, in connecting people to Onondaga Lake and helping them see the lake as an asset. Uh, the photographers that now flock to Onondaga Lake all throughout the year, but in particular during the winter months, is incredible. And people will come in from all over New York State and beyond to see these 60 bald eagles or, or the thousands of waterfowl there and the, the dozens of songbirds that can be found there throughout the year. Um, and taking wonderful photos of birds, of the wildlife, the habitats, and people enjoying the lake. So coming up on March 25th, and 26 at the Honeywell Onondaga Lake Visitor Center, we're hosting an Onondaga Lake photography exhibit. Uh, today is actually the deadline for people to submit their uh, photographs. All the information can be found on the Onondaga Lake Conservation Corps website, and that is ny.audubon.org slash O-L-C-C. Uh, there's a submission form there with all we'll the throw a link to that in the show notes that, that's a complicated much. one <laughs> appreciate that yeah uh, and people can submit their images for consideration to be included we're going to have 30 images uh, printed and matted and on display at the visitor center here at the end of march uh, working with our colleagues uh, throughout the onondaga lake conservation corps program and we're looking forward to having the whole central new york community and finger lakes region coming out and seeing these birds and the wildlife and their unique habitats uh, on display at this exhibit to which really showcases this conservation success story and and proves that Onondaga Lake has returned 
to a prominent stature in, in the Central New York community. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, Malaya, I can't let you out of here before I ask. Anything going on up at the center uh, in the next 30 days or so? And uh, more importantly, yeah. I know sh- snowshoeing mm. is normally a big thing for you guys. That's right. um, has it been a lot of hiking? It's been a lot of hiking this winter. <laughs> we we had the snowshoes out in January and February. They were in our exhibit hall ready for use, and they were collecting dust all winter, unfortunately. Now, this coming weekend, we might actually be able to use them. Hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, we can actually use them. But a lot of great hiking. We have two miles of trails at Montezuma Audubon Center. We are a year-round facility. The Refuge Visitor Center right here, Seneca Falls, they close during the winter months. They won't open for another few weeks. So if people want to learn about places where they can go and hike, uh, see birds like these incredible flocks of waterfowl that continue to pour in or where they can go to see bald eagles, come up to Montezuma Audubon Center, Route 89 in Savannah. Uh, we're going to be doing tours. We have scout groups calling us. We have school groups calling us for springtime field trips. Uh, so I tis- anticipate we're going to be very busy as we go into the spring months. And folks can go to our website for all the latest information, montezuma.audubon.org. Awesome. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks so much for taking it. Thanks, Josh. All right. On the other side of the break, we are going to the Women's Rights National Historical Park in Seneca Falls. Stay tuned. The difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4574. And like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years, and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, 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 DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaiguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com.
All right, welcome back to Finger Likes Today. In our Today exclusive brought to you by DeSanto Propane, Rebecca Swift caught up with Janine Waller from the Women's Rights National Historical Park in Seneca Falls to talk about an important month at the Seneca Falls landmark. Check it out. Where are we sitting right now? Oh, right now we are in the Fall Street Visitor Center at Women's Rights National Historical Park in Seneca Falls, New York. And what is this place? This is a National Historical Park, which is a special designation within the National Park Service that recognizes those culturally and historically significant institutions and locations in American history. And what do we have that we recognize here? Well, a lot of people are not all that familiar with this site. So things that you might recognize would be Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, one of the planners of the very first Women's Rights Convention here in Seneca Falls in 1848. The Visitor Center has a museum, a bookstore, and the primary exhibit is the bronze statues depicting the day of the convention, which brought more than 300 people here to talk about the civil, religious, and social condition of women. Here at Women's Rights National Historical Park, we commemorate the 1848 convention on the social, civil, and religious rights of women. It was the first public meeting of its kind following on the heels of a lot of discussion in this country about what it meant to be an American and what it meant to be a citizen of this country. Um, so these are questions that a new nation was really struggling with and in 1848 folks were very concerned with the issue of slavery and what was the nature of human rights as women, particularly within the, the, the Quaker congregations, but really people all over the country and all over the world were sort of trying to decide what is owed to us as human beings. And the women who were involved in that started to realize that they were not getting their due, that they were not being treated equal to their male peers. At the same time that they're, they're arguing for the universal rights of human beings, they're not getting those rights for themselves. And there were a lot of conversations going on about this for a long time, but in 1848, a group of um, women who were at the intersection of a lot of these conversations got together for a relatively social event. They got together for a tea party, which was sort of a baby shower for one of them. And they started talking about things in their lives that we all talk about. They talked about their families, their kids, their jobs, what they were doing, and started to realize a great deal of dissatisfaction that they shared. They found this shared issue. Now, a lot of us would have stopped at that point and said, gosh, it feels so good to find somebody who feels me. Um, and instead, they decided to take their, their issues to the streets. Um, they held a, con a convention a conference we would probably call it today. They invited as many people as they could get together. They took only 10 days and managed to rally more than 300 people to come to this town in Seneca, this town, Seneca Falls, New York, to discuss these really important issues. And, and that, that, that meeting brought this conversation to the public, to the forefront, and, and was in some ways the beginning of the formal women's rights movement in the United States. What were some of the things that they talked about? They talked about the law a great deal, about what was their condition under the law. At that time, women had very few rights under the law, so they did not keep the money that they earned. They could not go to school. They could not vote. Um, anything that a woman possessed was actually the property of her nearest male relative for a very long time. They discussed how important it was that they be able to be paid equally for the work that they did when they were allowed to work. They discussed, it, most importantly, education was a huge uh, Most importantly, education was a huge topic of discussion that, that girls and women should be allowed to have access to higher education so that they could attain their professional goals. And they talked about what their social responsibilities were as moral people. In many cases, women who committed crimes uh, were not held accountable for those crimes because of the laws called coverture, which meant that a woman didn't exist separate from her husband in the eyes of the law. 
Obviously. I don't love that. I'm just going to come <laughs> right out and interject. I do not love that. Um, it, it also meant that in any cases of, of divorce or separation, um, child custody was another issue. A, a husband or a, a brother could sell a woman's children at that time, which is a horrifying thought. So really, there are a lot of domestic issues. There are a lot of professional issues. There are a lot of cultural issues. And those came out in a document called the Declaration of Sentiments. Now, as I said, this is an exercise from the New Republic, right? People are very familiar with, with the phrase, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Well, the Declaration of Sentiments begins the same way as that preamble. Um, it starts with, you know, when in the course of human events and continues it, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. They made that connection explicit. They used that language that was very familiar from the Declaration of Independence so that people would understand that this was a conversation about Americans and how we should view each other as human beings. When people come into the museum, is that what you do when they come here to this spot in Seneca Falls? Do you give them tours and show them around and tell them? These stories here at women's rights you can actually visit the wesleyan methodist chapel which was the location of that convention in 1848 it is part of the park and folks can visit it see it approximately as it was the day of the convention you can go in there and experience that space and and experience the the town of seneca falls near the canal that would have brought so many people the roads and the and the railroads that would have brought people this intersection of all these different transportation and communication routes. The Elizabeth Cady Stanton House is here. And uh, beginning in Women's History Month in the month of March, we do open the house up so that people can take tours and visit, um, listen to rangers tell about Elizabeth Cady Stanton's life and the beginnings of her lifelong efforts as a suffragist, as a women's rights advocate that began here in Seneca Falls. Why would that be a cool thing to do, to come here and take advantage of something like that? I think for a lot of people it brings history to life. There is something about walking the same route, looking out the same windows as a person that you don't know, that gives you a sense of the perspective that they might have had. For me, it has always been a question of putting myself in their shoes and realizing that in a different time, in a different place, I would have had a different life. So we hope that when people come here, they can understand a little bit about where those people were coming from and also where we have to go. This is a place where some very intelligent people came together, some uh, experienced women, some who were less experienced with the public, and they were inspired, they were motivated, they really felt moved to make a difference, which is not something that you feel everywhere, but we hope that we can communicate that to the folks that visit us. Women's Rights National Historical Park was designated in 1980. This was a period of time when women's history was starting to really capture public imagination. And it is like the 1848 convention, the culmination of a lot of discourse and a lot of effort before that. But in 1980, we were finally designated as a national park. We have a very broad name. Women's rights is a really big idea and it doesn't solely exist here. There are lots of places throughout the Park Service, but, but when we were designated, it was around the same time that this national attention is being put on the role of women in the formation of America and in history in general. Women's history is history. <laughs> it's not separate from that. You know, we don't get to peel out one person's history from the thread, the web of human events, but sometimes it's really important to highlight those things and to make sure that when we talk about history, we recognize that the experience is not the same for everyone and that those individual threads that form the web of our human existence and our human history have different resonance for different people. And we want to make sure that we see a complete picture. And so bringing women's history in the early 1980s to the forefront was, was part of our national agenda. So the first Women's History Week was proclaimed in 1981 and every year thereafter until 1987 when Women's History Month was proclaimed. This has really helped us to focus on a more inclusive version of history. Even here at Women's Rights, 
National Historical Park, we're working to have a more inclusive vision of history. We've taken a lot of time since our designation to really look at who was here, who was part of the conversation, and who was excluded. So Women's History Month is in some ways our time to shine for people <laughs> yeah. to come and, and see what we do here and to ask those important questions. What happened here? How did it impact me as a person in my life as I know it? But also, who am I, whose story am I not hearing? You know, we talk about Frederick Douglass, who was invited here specifically to this convention, but he was the only person of color who was specifically invited. Hmm. The record of the experience of the African Americans who lived here during that time hasn't been recorded as well. So here at the park, we're working on finding all of the stories around the convention and really exploring how it fits into the larger picture. And if you come here, you can be a part of that too. You can ask those questions and uh, maybe stump a ranger. <laughs> there you <laughs> but, go. But hopefully find some answers for yourself as well. Um, what does Women's History Month mean to you personally? I am of a generation where Women's History Month was starting, you know, um, around the same time I was. My first experience here at Women's Rights National Historical Park was when I was eight. I came here to a day camp uh, the Elizabeth Cady Stanton House and um, the fact that the, that was being promoted, that my community here in the Finger Lakes uh, paid special attention to that shaped my entire life. It, it shaped my career goals, it shaped my um, understanding of how the world works and how I fit into it. So Women's History Month has been a very important part of my education. What um, events are coming up and where can people go to find out about events in our area? Well, all of the things that Women's Rights is doing are on our website. They're on our calendar. Uh, you can go to www.nps.gov forward slash women's rights um, or you can just Google us. <laughs> but uh, our website has a list of all the programs that we'll be doing at the Wesleyan Chapel as well as at the Elizabeth Cady Stanton House and the uh, Talks of the Museum here as well. I'm the lead park ranger, the only park ranger, but the lead park ranger for the site. Uh, so it's me and a staff of four park guides and we provide all the interpretive programs here at the here at Women's Rights National Historical Park. All right, uh, what is, we got Women's Rights Month. Uh, what is it, first of all, what does that mean to you? So Women's History Month is just a chance to reconnect. Women's History Month, yeah. I said we're at Women's Rights, Women's History Month. It's a chance to reconnect. It's a chance to kind of refocus and to kind of bring a little attention to things that we're not given attention to. It's, you know, we tend to think, same with many of the other specialty months, it's a time to focus and reconnect. It's also a time to delve into these stories that are rich and awesome and beautiful and fun and exciting and all those different things um, that oftentimes get missed in the you know, kind of the typical things we talk about. So it's just that it's that chance. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to find some something that connects to you and to your story and to your life and to kind of give you a little hope and inspiration and and comfort. And, whatever you want to find from history. That's what history does. And what programs do we have going on? So the big things we do, um, we always offer programs uh, inside here, the historic Wesleyan Chapel. We offer them daily. Uh, this, is a, this is the premier site for the, the park. The park is made up of about four different locations, uh, but this is the premier one. This is where the 1848 convention will happen. We offer a program here three times a day. Uh, I do it on the odd hours, 11, 1, and 3. Uh, the programs will talk about the first convention, what happens here, a little bit about the building, a little bit about what comes before and after. But it often focuses on what, you know, why here, what happens here, what's going on here. In addition, because it's Women's History Month, we start doing our uh, programs at the Elizabeth Cady Stanton House, which during the winter is often closed, but we'll get it open in the spring and March um, for Women's History Month. Uh, we'll do tours of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton House. That is the home Elizabeth lived in from 1847 to 1862. She lives in Seneca Falls for about 15 years. It's very much where the, the story begins. It's part of her moving to Seneca Falls will inspire her to do the convention. Part of it will just kind of build on her life, life work. Uh, not connected to the, connection, to the convention, but a few years after the convention here in, in 1848 and 1851, uh, in downtown Seneca Falls, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton will very famously be introduced to Susan B. Anthony. 
a young Quaker woman, and they immediately strike up a friendship, they become friends, uh, and they will form a lifelong, 50-year-long partnership, friendship, working agreement, working together, uh, and it really shapes in that house. Um, so it's a really beautiful spot to be that, it's a place where that friendship is made. I would argue, or I have argued, I argue many days, <laughs> that um, it's probably the most powerful political friendship in American history. It is a 50-year-long friendship. I, I look around for other ones that are anywhere close. Uh, it's very hard to find anything like that. Um, they are in sync, literally, for 50 years. They are working on different issues, primarily women's suffrage, but a whole host of other issues, too. Uh, everything from property rights to divorce rights uh, to you know, right to conscience, all these different things, right to have your own thoughts and to be your own person and all those different things that we don't often, we get, get missed in the idea of suffrage. Um, suffrage becomes the dominant, or the vote becomes the dominant idea um, as kind of the gateway to all those other rights. Um, and it, it definitely becomes a part of it, but it's all being shaped, began with the friendship of these two women and some home and a little tiny three bedroom house, well, it's larger at the time, but yeah, yeah. but uh, this little tiny house where people are making you know, friends and families and things like that. So it's a cool part to that, that idea. Um, Elizabeth has the very famous quote, I'm not breaking new ground here, uh, that she and she will craft or she will make the statement that she crafted the thunderbolt and Susan hurled it. And what that truly means is that Elizabeth is, is here in Seneca Falls. She's here at the house. She's raising her family. She'll have seven children doing all these other things, but she's a writer, she's a thinker, she's doing all this stuff, and she wants to get these ideas out, she wants to get them out there and work on them and active, but she has obligations here. Susan does not. Susan does not have children, not married, and she has the, the ability to go across the nation. Many of the speeches that Susan B. Anthony gives across America are written for by Elizabeth, and that's what she means by crafting the thunderbolt. Uh, Susan goes out and hurls it. So that's a very beautiful part to it. So why is it important for people all throughout the Finger Lakes region to come here and to take part in these programs during Women's History Month? Well, I would say that they're welcome to come anytime. We're always right. going to offer programs. <laughs> uh, it's a, you know, Women's History Month, just like I said earlier, is kind of, it, it's a chance to reconnect. It's a chance to remind yourself. It's a chance to see, you know, to think about these stories, think about things we often don't talk about, um, and, and remind yourself that there's this story here and that, that is a beautiful story. And it's, it's not just a Finger Lake story, it's an American story, it's a world history story. I mean, there's effects are shaping, are, you know, shaping our experience right now today. Um, and so it's, it's just your opportunity, it's your chance. Uh, I would say come anytime, but if you got a chance in Women's History Month, definitely do it. Uh, it's, it's appropriate time to do it. It's a way to get your family together. It might be just a way to tell your family, hey, we're gonna do this now, you know, instead of some go. other time. All right, thanks to Rebecca for that report. On the other side of the break, we're going to be talking a busy night in Section 5 basketball action with Nate Sharman, Jim Sinecropi, and Paul Russo. Stay tuned. Dentistry. Dr. Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. If you're looking for a dentist who offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff, Canandaigua Dentistry will go the extra smile for you. Committed to local veteran organizations as well as seniors in the Finger Lakes, Canandaigua Dentistry offers discounts for both as well as an in-house dental membership program for those without insurance. The office is located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or you can give them a call at 585-394-5230. Visit CanandaiguaDentistry.com to learn more about the team and follow on Facebook and Instagram today. Oh, 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 oh,
As the months turn colder, make sure you're able to be comfortable. Don't get left out in the cold this winter. Choose DeSanto Propane. Over 8 million households already heat with propane because a propane furnace can heat air up to 25 degrees warmer than electricity. Propane radiant heat can improve air quality in a home by cutting down on dust and allergens and more. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com for more info. D-I-S-A-N-T-O Propane.com or call toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisrigney.com. Welcome back to Finger Lakes. Today it is time for sports brought to you by Chichino's Pizzeria. And for that, I'm going to kick it over to Nate Sharman because you and Jim Sinecropi here were in the uh, western part of the Finger Lakes, we'll call it, right. uh, last night. Uh, for some high school basketball action. What was it? Yeah, before we get to that, the awesome girls doubleheader that we had last night in B1, let's talk a little bit about boys. Uh, last night, Wayne over in A2, they were defeated by East High by a score of 51-41. So the Wayne Eagles season ends at 17-5. and Great year for Wayne, their young team, so they're kind of building up. So it was a good season for the I Eagles. I think that Wayne um, is a team to watch next year. Yes, for sure. Uh, Blankenberg's going to be a year older. Yep. Um, he, I, I predict he's going to be the player of the year over his like, I think he'll be a sophomore next year is that right I think he's a sophomore now is he? I believe. So, so his junior senior year um, Cam, Cam's a freshman oh okay yeah. so um, bright future for for sure Bill Thompson's bunch there yep and then over at, at HAC and D1 they lost to Voca Prattsburg Voca Prattsburg is just having a really powerhouse year so HAC the Wolves end at 11, 11 and 11 on the season and the Victor Blue Devils won last night they're headed to the finals they are going to take on Fairport in the final at Blue Cross Arena on Saturday night. And that'll be a big one, packed yep. house. Oh, that'll um, be a really good game. Double A is a different level. Right. Know? I know Fairport's the sixth seed, too, so they've they've uh, went through some upsets to get to the finals. Victor, the, the one seed in double A, have gone there. So that's all for boys that were last night. Tonight we got a really good boys game in B1. Myself and Paul Russo will be headed up to Bloomfield this evening for a 745 start between Waterloo and Newark to decide who's going to head to the finals there. That's going to be a really fun game. Really looking forward to that. Didn't expect Waterloo to be here. You know, they played really well against Palmac and were able to get that victory in the semifinal. Uh, Newark's just continuing to kind of chug along, especially in the second half of the season. And um, goodness, that should be a really good, I predict, low-scoring affair. That's what we've seen lately, and I, and I don't uh, predict to be any different uh, for this game tonight. That game is, is definitely the game of the night. Those two have really become pretty intense rivals over the past yeah they don't like each other that's for sure years um as is the case with a lot of uh the finger lakes east uh teams waterloo's become pretty good rivals with geneva recently and um it, as minders was with newark it kind of rotates um and it all comes down to these sectional semifinal games um waterloo and newark met Ooh, two, two or three years ago. The last, yeah. the year that Waterloo lost to Geneva in the finals at the Blue Cross. Um, and they had a really tight game in the semifinals. And so I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, I said 70-45 start, but that is the second half of a doubleheader. First game begins at 6 on the other side of the bracket. So that could alter the time depending on when that game finishes. But tentatively, 7:45. stay tuned to FingerLakes1.com. And uh, FingerLakes1 Radio will kind of update people as as we see fit there 
if the game goes late, we'll kind of make sure we have could everyone. Could be 7.45, could be 8.15, could be 8 o'clock, yeah. could be well, 7.50. That's what, what we sure. weren't sure about last night with that second game, but it started at 7.46, so yeah, they were pretty good. Yeah. And they, they really did turn that around. Yeah, with, when Tim Lincoln's there, you know, head of the head of, uh, girls basketball in the state, uh, he does a very really good job of keeping everything on track. Um, really good job by Mr. Lincoln and his staff uh, for really turning that game over quickly and getting the next one started. And if you okay, want to check out that. a great interview with Tim Lincoln yeah. um, between games of our broadcast, you can um, re-listen to the broadcast. If you go to our nightly recap from last night, uh, there's a link there that says re-listen to the broadcast. And if you want to hear that interview with Tim Lincoln, it's between games, so about halfway. <laughs> and um, also great post-game interviews after both both games yeah we with, did with we had kids. fun yeah, that was really fun we had molly see their goodness on the first game from paul mack then the second game jazzy lewis and uh natalie DeSanto after the game so yeah how well have teams been traveling to the games that, that oh, we've packed house so last night it was yeah, awesome. really really traveling house. well yeah it was uh there's nothing like it um you know when you get to deep into sectionals and you get these double headers where so there's four schools represented um between games obviously fans shuffling out new mm -hmm. fans shuffling in and it, it really is quite a scene and it was boisterous uh, atmosphere all night for both games yeah did done a nice job too getting students there making sure that students are represented and, and they're nice loud and proud too so that's awesome to see that was really fun last night yeah so coming out victorious in that first game um, paul mack takes down livonia 42 to 40 that was a really close game down to the yeah. buzzer too. travel call with 0.9 seconds left as um livonia was looking to tie it up but Travel called, so Palmac was able to seal the victory. They're headed to the finals. A really fun and electric game, too, for that first game of that doubleheader, Jim. Yeah, and that travel call, you know, you weren't sure if they were going to call a foul or right. travel. Um, it could have been uh, Buckley going to the line to shoot a couple free throws to tie it, uh, but they called the travel, uh, which effectively ended the game because with mm -hmm. .9 seconds left, Palmac was able to use a timeout because Coach Dan Harris smartly saved one, and they were, then you advanced the ball. And so at that point, you basically just got to inbound it. Um, if they had to inbound, if it was boys, Palmac would have had to inbound underneath their own basket. Right. Um, or against underneath Livonia's basket. And then, you know, Livonia still has a chance. So it's just interesting how a, little, a rules difference between the boys and the girls right. um, effectively ended that game with .9 seconds left. Right. And that, that gets us to our nightcap. Uh, Waterloo takes down Midlakes by a score of 85-43. to 43. So big win for the Tigers to move on. Uh, really started off hot by Midlakes. You know, Waterloo came in really good, 21 on the season before last night. But Midlakes had the first between five and six points in that game. But then after that, it was five all Tigers. Five run to start the game for Midlakes. Yep. And that was it. Five, it was 5 nothing. Stella Del Papa. Her first five points of the game came there. And then Waterloo went on a pretty good run down that first quarter and, and didn't really look back. Yeah. yeah. No, they definitely did not look back. Yep. It was uh, it was. Over at halftime, pretty much. Although, you know, we talked about when a team is down you know, 20, 18, 20 points, you got to turn it into a series of smaller games. So you try to, at the end of the third quarter, maybe only be down 12, you know, win that third quarter, quarter by six or eight points. But Waterloo was just too much. Um, right. For like, you know, they just continued to widen the margin. Yep. And now that sets up a rematch against the one team that beat Waterloo this season. Yep. Friday night at Rush Henrietta. That'll be a really fun game, 7.30 tip there. Um, Paul and myself will be at that game on Friday night from Rush Henrietta, so really looking forward to that one. Uh, just talking to some of the girl, you know, Natalie DeSanto and Jazzy Lewis after the game, you can tell that they you have that little rivalry with Paul Mack, right? That's the team that took you down, so you want to in turn take them down. So that, that'll be a really fun game to, to watch on Friday. Well, I was going to say, that could be maybe one of the best best games of the year. I think so. I think it has the, has the billing for it, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I see two outcomes potentially one waterloo just runs away with it as they've been known to do or palmac makes it a close game right in which palmac would be able to sneak it out at the end i don't i i it's it's uh it's tough i, I waterloo's a favorite right even though they lost yeah, palmac probably. you'd say um, but the one thing Palmac has going for them, and you saw in that Livonia game last night, was Livonia brought a lot of full-court pressure. won't be the same intensity that Waterloo will bring, but Palmac was able to take care of the ball, um, where Livonia in the first half was committing a lot of turnovers against mm -hmm. Palmac's pressure. And so if there's one thing that Dan Harris's group 
does well, I think, in most cases is take care of the ball. Right. Um, Taryn Goodness, outstanding. Uh, Molly Seether and Georgia Worth, good with the ball. Um, so we'll see. You know, we'll see if they if they if if they don't turn the ball over, it'll be a close game. If they are a little loose with it, it could be a repeat of what we saw last night. Yep. So a lot of basketball being had on FingerLakes1.com. So one more semifinal game tonight. Paul Russo and I at the at Bloomfield for Geneva, or excuse me, Waterloo, Newark boys B one semifinal, and then we'll be Friday night. We'll be doing the uh, Waterloo Palmac game from Rush Henrietta. That's that's the finals. So we'll have more games after that too on FingerLakes1.com, but we'll make sure to update those as they So what are available. the uh, possibilities for the Blue Cross Arena on Saturday? We know we're going to have a Finger Lakes East team, the winner of the Waterloo-Newark game yep, at 9 a.m. Um, but uh, any uh, Lions, boys? That's Friday night though, right, Paul? In the Blue Cross. In the Blue Cross, yeah. correct, yep. Okay. And then we'll, Victor plays that Saturday night. Right, which we probably wouldn't cover that one. Okay. Yeah. That that'll be the late game. That'll yep, nine be, p.m. Yeah, so it's a it's a long uh, stretch of game. If you want to watch a lot of live basketball, you know, get your plan set to go to the Blue Cross Arena right. or Rush Henrietta. But um, you know, you're talking about a full Friday night and then a full day, nine a.m. to nine p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, at the Blue Cross on Saturday. A lot of people working hard in those two gymnasiums to to make that <laughs> work. About that. So really, really kudos to all the volunteers and and people that put so much work and time and effort in. It is quite a. I don't know if I call it a spectacle, but it is uh, quite an endeavor to pull it off every year. For sure. Um, there's just. I mean, how many classifications are you talking about here? Um, nine on the boys' side. Games, yeah. Nine on the boys' side and a little bit less. I think it's Eight, seven on the girls' seven side. Seven on the girls? It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of tournaments. Yep. A lot of tournaments, a lot of games, a lot, a lot of, of people put a lot of time in pa- A lot of people have a lot of time and passion, though. You're like talking to Tim Lincoln before the – in between games there. Just absolutely loves it. You know, wouldn't rather be anywhere else, so it's pretty awesome. And they need yeah. the cooperation – of so many different athletic directors because all these semifinal games are at a neutral site. So right. you need to find a, a high school that will be willing to host mm-hmm. that is equidistant to the teams participating. Right. Um, so that narrows it down a little bit. And then you need athletic directors to be able to be willing to um, host all these people. Mm-hmm. And around that, they need to coordinate their practice schedules so like last night we showed up at Canandaigua the Canandaigua girls are still alive they were practicing in that gym <laughs> right and then that and spring sports start to ramp up here mm-hmm. um for teams that would you know the far west regional games for example by the time next week's far west regional games are underway spring sport practices are starting and a lot of those this time of year are inside the gymnasium right. so it is really is harder than most people think for sure to um to coordinate scheduling nightmare uh speaking of nightmares uh no there's not a ton to say here but before we get out we need to at least touch on uh syracuse basketball which um seems to look a little worse every day now uh jim any any thoughts here well i didn't watch the game i did was tracking the score while we were courtside in canada and I'm glad I didn't watch the game. Yeah, well, you were actually watching a better game than. Oh yeah, <laughs> gave up 90 to an, another team. It's just it's what happened now three times at least three 96. times this season. Getting up, it's just not something I'm used to for Syracuse basketball. You know, Georgia Tech is not a good team. No, they were big favorites too, especially at home. You know, five I think or it was six about nine. games under 500, um, and so losing a game like that now puts Syracuse in jeopardy of having a losing record. Yeah. Which um, you know, in Bayheim's forty years of coaching, it's only happened once. Now it's going to potentially be twice. Very well, could be. So it's uh, Paul. What do you think uh, the answer for Syracuse is? You know, heading forward Scorched into the earth. future, not this year. This year's a piece of crap. What so, about so what yeah, about the future? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from doing a full full on rant here to a degree, but. For me, everything, especially yesterday, started in the afternoon when the game gets flexed off of TV locally. Like, what, what are we, like what's the point of having Wildhack be the athletic director, a former ESPN guy? The ESPN if, guy. If, if that happens. Like, I've, I've been over Wildhack here for a while. I, I don't think he's 
gonna change anything anyway i don't know man i disagree with you there we uh football programs in a good trajectory and that's a really difficult uh prospect for syracuse football in the acc up here in the northeast and then we've got a soccer national championship men's soccer just won national championship girls lacrosse programs national championships in recent history and and contenders this year um i think overall that he does a good job but the basketball program is obviously horrible I mean, I, I don't disagree, I guess, with any of that. It's just that in the spots where he needs to step up and be the guy, he has not been the guy yet. And, you can't you know. be too pleased with the way the football season yeah, is. And I, I'm I, sorry, I, but, I, like, I, it, you, can't, you can't look at that no. program and say, oh, things are, we're going the right direction. Well, they went to a bowl game. Yeah, but if you're going to a bowl game that doesn't mean yeah. anything. Well, then, everybody goes to a bowl game that mean, doesn't mean anything except for, you know, basically four teams, right? It'll expand. But I mean, is the goal not to get there with that program? Like, if so, we're saying that the I mean, way like the, that fa- the football program yeah. can be a success is if they that. get into the BCS playoffs. Which, That's kind of unrealistic at this point. Which is, uh, you know, when you're competing against um, schools like Alabama and LSU and Michigan. Right. Um, I would love to be there, yeah. and I think that there can be outlier seasons where we're in the picture, but. Um, you know, Syracuse University is just not a football school anymore, sadly. Um, it, it's hard to – it's it's tough tough not to crack, and that's one of the yeah. problems with college football is, you know, really after a month into the season, there's only – if you think that a national championship is the barometer for being success, right. then out of the hundred and so, you know, Division One football programs – there's only three or four that matter. Yeah, I would probably say three, even before the season starts, I think there's probably between three and four teams that can that win the national championship that year. And you know that before you even kick the first ball off. But that's just kind of how college, the college football landscape is right now. I mean, I mean even if you're going to get to a place, though, where you're ranked in the top 20 consistently yeah. for a span of, you know. That's a little bit more. I mean, being a, a guy on the ranked, ranked side or even just outside of it, tops of the in the tops of the ACC, maybe not the top, but... I think that's a good goal and an attainable goal. Hey, this year, winning record. Yeah. And, you know, one of the barometers that I look at are are the games entertaining, um, exciting. Do you, are there something to look forward to when Clemson comes to town? Do we feel like we can beat them? Right. Um, Wait, I had talking? a great time at the NC State game. That was Wait, really fun. Wait, are talking football? Football yeah. ended up at 6-7. and seven. Yeah, they had losing season. Oh, they lost the bowl game. That's right. But... You have to be more than a Bowl heartbreaker. Eligible, you I can't guess. just be like a, you can't just be a heartbreaker program and hope to be like a spoiler to a team that's actually on like a like a top ten, top five national title contender kind of run. Like if you want to have a program that means something, which I mean, I feel like that's got to be the goal. You, you it can't just be like, well, we're not mediocre. We're not just so absolutely different awful. Football. It's just it's so hard to have those big expectations. When you're not, especially if you're not in the South, I feel like that changes everything too. It's not just Syracuse. Oh, I, I you have to have you South have to have somebody there. at the helm who believes that it's possible, though, even if it's not possible, yeah. well, even if we're going to admit that it's not. Like no, I believe it's possible, but it, it's an outlier season. So this season was setting up to potentially be that. Although I think that even um, the biggest Syracuse fans, when we started out six five and zero, five and zero. You know, knew that it was unlikely that they were going to end up in the BCS playoffs. No, I mean, th- nobody from the ACC was getting in this year. I mean, the minute Clemson showed the fact that they weren't going to be what we've seen from them the past handful of years, it wasn't going to happen. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you start 5-0, and you end up 6-7, and and especially after what, I mean, we talk about this year being an outlier. I mean, talk about the outlier that is 2018 where they were 10-3. and and got as high as twelfth in the poll at one point. I mean, yeah. I, it's it's whatever. I I think we kind of deviated from really. What, what I like Dino Babers, before, and I I comfortable with where the football program is right now. Garrett Schrader's coming back next year. Um, you know, we'll try it again. Yeah, we'll try it again. But the problem with college football, it's also the thing that makes college football great. If you're a fan in of one of the bigger programs or you like important early season games but you know once you lose a game so if Syracuse loses one game 
they're not going to win the national championship. Correct. If Alabama loses one game, they still got a chance. But if they lose two games, you probably not. But even Alabama still has a chance losing two games, right? Or right. Ohio State. It depends on all the other teams do, right? Right. But if a team like Syracuse or Pittsburgh or Boston College um, or Northwestern, or, you know, could go on Oregon State, you know, if they lose one game, it's over. Yep. So I would, you know, you know what really needs to happen in college football to give programs like Syracuse a chance to not be in that situation is to um, expand the playoffs to 16 teams. I was going to say, that yeah. seems like it. That's happening. Yeah, but that actually seems inevitable at this point. Like yeah, that's, I hope they so. Decided, they already but decided that's going to happen. You need to have a program at that point, though, that can like be in the mix of that. You don't have to be in that top four discussion. Like, you well, in that case, will, you don't. Like, you can get in, and you can go on and run in the postseason. I mean, yeah. Syracuse has proven over the past 10 years that they can beat top-ranked teams in the country they, by upsetting Clemson um, a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, playing tight with teams – you know, like Florida State, uh, and you know, the, even earlier on in the year they were beating. Te- you know, Purdue was pretty be Clemson this year, highly ranked. Yeah, and and that's the other frustrating <laughs> thing too is like it seems like it seems like the ACC does not want Syracuse to beat Clemson, so it seems like we don't get those calls in those close games. It's like we're already climbing uphill in an already difficult situation. But you're right, if the playoffs were 16 then Syracuse could suffer a loss and still be in contention I don't even think it needs to be six I mean at that point you could like 12 and you've got a reasonable chance you're going to have a, a share of one loss teams and no, more makes, the merrier 16s yeah. even that way you can you know everybody you know four games to win the playoffs football's always good we always love more no, football. No complaints there. Hey, <laughs> that is going to do it for this edition of Finger Lakes today. We'll be back right here tomorrow morning at 9 to get your day started. Until then, don't forget to check out the FingerLakes1.com app for the latest breaking news, weather, sports, and more 24 hours a day. For the entire team here at FingerLakes1.com, thanks for joining us and have a great day. <laughs>